Welcome to the Nations Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Who's ready for the Word of God today? Matthew chapter 11, the 11th chapter of the book of Matthew. It starts off as quite a depressing uh, account, but it does lift us in what it says. It says here, when John, who was in prison, this is John the Baptist, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, to ask Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? How many of you have been in a difficult prison season of your life where you've encountered a storm or you've encountered something that has made life very difficult for you, and you've asked the question of Jesus, are you real, Jesus, or should I go looking for the real Savior? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me, verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not... What did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. All this will make sense in just a moment, but today I want to speak to you on the subject matter, what God didn't do. What God didn't do. How many of you were here last weekend for my message? There's more to it than you think. Well, if you weren't here for that, make sure that you dial in on YouTube and catch up on it. This is like the part two of that, a flow on from that. We are one week out from Easter. It is the greatest weekend in the calendar year for a Christian. And I want to encourage you next weekend, invite as many people as possible to Easter. We've got our Good Friday services, 3 p.m., 5 p.m. here at our Myri campus. It's going to be online. And Easter Sunday is going to be Water Baptism Sunday across our 9, 11, and 5 p.m. services. On your way out, there's some flyers and invites that you can take, but make sure that you don't come to church at Easter on your own. But today, um, being the lead up to Easter, I want you to think about how Easter is often the time when we celebrate what Jesus did on the cross. Do we not? Come on. Hello. It is a time when we celebrate, we reawaken, we revive our revelation of a God that, that took our place. It is the, this pinnacle point in human history, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. There is life-changing truth in everything God has done. But can I suggest to you today, I want to go a little bit deeper and suggest to you that there is just as much life-changing truth when you also consider everything that God didn't do. What am I saying? I'm saying that in our lives, God reveals himself in the things he didn't do as much as in the things he did do. Once again, there is always more to it than you think. So I want you to stay with me for a second because we need to have a deeper theology than to simply equate what seems like unanswered prayers or things not working out how we thought God would work it out. And we then say to ourselves, well, because it hasn't worked out the way we thought God would work it out in our time and all of that, then we say God is not real or God doesn't love me. Now, I'm I'm not talking to people that are contending to with or needing to contend in faith for a breakthrough. If that's you, you're in the middle of a trial right now and you're contending in faith for a breakthrough, you need to keep doing that. I'm not talking to anyone today. you know, you know where that, that 
you're believing for a miracle, we believe that God is a God of miracles. I am talking to anyone here today where you maybe started to form a belief system that is erroneous or inaccurate or even worse, it is faith destroying just because you're looking at your life and you deem that God has not done what you wanted him to do in the time you wanted him to do it. Is that okay? Is that clear? Because disappointment in God can often reside in us when we perceive that God didn't do what we wanted Him to do. But I want to suggest to you today, I'm going to give you the, 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 like, the end goal of this, this sermon today right up the front. Because if, if, you, if you can consider what God didn't do in a way that is, that, that is life-giving, I want to tell you today, it would change everything and the way that you see God. What if you realized that God was revealing more of himself, his plans, his purposes, his nature, and even his love and kindness toward us in the things he didn't do as much as in the things he did do? Here in Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist is actually in jail. This is like a strange account. It's very jarring. You can imagine the questions in John's mind. He's in prison on some weird trumped up charges by Herod. Things are looking pretty dire. He spent his entire ministry life preparing the way, preaching and ministering in such a way as to prepare the Jews for the coming of Jesus. You're following me so far? Now it's suddenly, abruptly cut short. He finds himself in jail. John then calls his, some of his disciples to, to, to meet with him in jail and says, I want you to go and find Jesus and I want you to ask him this question. It's looking dire right now, but ask Jesus, are you the real Messiah or should I start looking for the real one? How many of you have ever asked Jesus that question? It's not looking so good right now for me in this diagnosis, in this current situation in life. You're not seeming to answer my prayers right now. Should I look for a different savior? Jesus, however, does not Do what I think John was trying to suggest for Jesus to do, which is come and rescue me out of prison. Instead, Jesus says this, go tell John, go back to jail and tell John the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, good news is proclaimed to the poor. And then then Jesus says this, go tell John, blessed is anyone who does not stumble or is offended on account of me. Blessed is anyone who is not offended when I do not do for them what they ask me to do. That'll bend your theology. Come on. In other words, tell John, I've got more things at play here than just to do what he's asking me to do. Can I suggest to you today that in order for God to do His will, He'll often say no to doing our will. This account in Matthew 11 has confounded so many scholars. Why would Jesus not go rescue John? He had a violent end. Things were not good. It was almost jarring. And yet Jesus' response seems strange if you are just isolating that account on its own. But then it goes on to say, John goes to describe, he goes on to talk to the rest of the crowd that that John's whole mission, why God caused him to be born on the earth, was to prepare the way for him. 
Are you losing your faith in God because he didn't do what you thought he would do? Because as I begin to read the Gospels, we are often taught to celebrate Jesus only for all that he did. But when you read scripture, I also see that you and I need to start seeing the genius in all the things Jesus doesn't do. In John chapter 11, there is an account of a man who is very sick, who is a personal family friend of Jesus by the name of Lazarus. Now, Lazarus' whole family were friends with Jesus. You can imagine they probably grew up together. They were in the same town. They kind of knew each other. Jesus was very close to Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. Now, we pick up the account in John chapter 11. It says, now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, uh, the, the town of Mary and his sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So, so the writer of John sets up this relational kind of context. They knew each other. Therefore, the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. How many of you have ever tried to manipulate Jesus like that when you pray? Lord Jesus, I know you love me, so can you please give me that promotion, right? When Jesus heard that, he said this, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. That is a very great statement to have, fantastic. But the conjunction used here in verse 6 is very confusing. It says, Jesus now loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, because he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, When he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. So you love them, but you did not go immediately to a sickbed. Hold up a second. I'm a little confused here, Jesus. Jesus says, I love you, and because I love you, I ain't coming to heal you. Some of you are going, what is this guy preaching? He's preaching heresy. Stay with me. Stay with me on this. There is a genius in what Jesus didn't do. He didn't go to heal Lazarus. He let Lazarus die. Not only did he let Lazarus die, by the time he gets to Lazarus, Lazarus has been dead for four days and the tomb is starting to reek of a decomposing corpse. Most of you reading, hearing my sermon, would know how John chapter 11 finishes. It does end well. But can I suggest to you, we read scripture fully knowing the ending. Imagine being Mary and Martha in the four days. Living in what God didn't do. Imagine being Lazarus' family members saying, I I I thought we were friends, Jesus. I thought we just sung the hymn, what a friend I found. What is this? You love us, but yet you didn't come. And by the time we get to John chapter 11, Jesus had already performed multiple miracles. He was known as a miracle worker. He had raised people from the dead. It's like, Jesus, you raised strangers from the dead and you're not here to heal us, your family, friends. How many of you, in spite of fully knowing how powerful Jesus is and all the things he has done, only ever remember the one thing he didn't do for you? And we hold that against him. But the story doesn't end there, of course. 
In verse 20, it says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. She couldn't even come and, and face Jesus. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Hmm. Martha had a moment. How many of you ever had Martha moments? How many are having a Martha moment right now? You're living in a Martha moment. Jesus, if you'd come earlier, I wouldn't be in this financial mess. If you'd come earlier, you'd come through for me, my family wouldn't be split like this right now. If you'd opened those doors for me, I still wouldn't be stuck in this stage of life right now. Lord, if you've saved that relationship of mine, I would, I would have walked down the aisle by now. Come on, hello. How many of you have been in that Martha moment? But then Martha now uses the right conjunction. She says, but. Instead of Jesus using the word so, Martha uses the word but, but I know. It's a much more appropriate conjunction that she goes on to say, but I know that even now, God will give you what you ask. Jesus didn't come to heal Lazarus because if he did, what happened next wouldn't have been possible. It says here in verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been there four days. In other words, my brother always had bad B.O., but it's even worse now. <laughs> Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Mm. Jesus wanted once and for all in the public eye to prove his divinity and prophesy of his own resurrection in the very near future. And he would have never been able to do it had he did what Martha wanted him to do. What Jesus didn't do is often a setup for what he's going to do. I need a resounding amen from somebody. See, the greatest test of our faith is often in the season between what Jesus didn't do and what Jesus is going to do. But if you hold on to your faith, we will eventually see that Jesus wanted what Jesus wanted to do was always far greater than what you wanted him to do. Martha wanted Jesus to heal Lazarus. Jesus wanted to raise Lazarus from the dead after four days. Jairus wanted Jesus to come heal his daughter. Jesus wanted to raise Jairus' daughter to silence the doubters. Philip wanted Jesus to materialize money to feed the masses. But Jesus wanted to take bread and fish from a little boy to turn five loaves and two fish, come on now, into a buffet meal for thousands of people. We often cry out to God, God, we want you to do this. But God often says, no, child, I need to do this. We are grateful for what Jesus did, but the church needs to wake up to the genius also of what God doesn't do. At Easter, let me remind you of what Jesus didn't do. Matthew chapter 27, verse 37. This is what the crowd and the general public wanted Jesus to do. They hung him 
on the cross, and they said this in verse 37. Over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. If you are the son of God, pull yourself down up off that cross. Can I suggest to you that if Jesus did exactly what the public wanted him to do, we wouldn't be celebrating Easter today. At his arrest, he said, I could summon a legion of angels to come and stop me from being arrested. Thank God Jesus did not do that. The disciples said, Peter said, Jesus, uh, 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 you ain't going to the cross. Thank God Jesus did not do what Peter wanted him to do. Come on. We need to start seeing the genius of what Jesus didn't do. So many of us are angry at God for the things that he didn't do instead of trusting that he's got greater things in mind when he doesn't do the things we want him to do. In order for God to do his will, there's going to be times when he's not going to do your will. Let's go with a personal story. When I was 21, I started dating a girl. She was gorgeous, she was blonde, she was beautiful, she was kind, she was an amazing person. We were young, but in my mind, she was the one. For those of you that are dating, you know, you get a sense that she's the one, right? She was not from Perth, she'd moved into Perth, and she was new to the, to, to the city, and we met at church, and she was everything I thought she would be in a life partner. You know, I, I, the relationship was heading in the right direction, I thought. You know how, you know, you just, just vibrant, things are looking good, right? People ask you, how's it going? It's going really good, right? <laughs> About nine months after dating this girl, we catch up for work. I catch up after work one day, and, and she began to share that things weren't going so well in her family back in her hometown, and, um, and how her mum and dad actually said, you know, we want you to come back to the hometown, and so she said, you know, I need to relocate out of Perth for a little while, so we're going to try this long-distance relationship for a little bit until things settle down in my family, and then we'll see how it goes from there. I thought, oh, okay, I don't know, but this was like the mid-90s. It was 1996. Okay, this was before mobile phones. The 1996, Macarena was like the number one song in 1996. <laughs> How many of you are old enough to remember that song? Petrol was 73 cents a litre, 1996. So it's about, it about three, maybe three and a half months when we would do things like call each other on a landline and write each other letters every few days. How many of you remember those days? So it's about three, four months. Things were going okay. It was hard, like long distance. And then just as suddenly as she left Perth, after three, three months and a, and a bit, her landline got disconnected. All the letters stopped. I had no means of contacting her. She didn't have very many friends in Perth, and the few friends that she had also lost contact with her. She became a ghost. Like, it was literally, like, what, what is going on? Like, I, I was in a mad panic. For three, four, five weeks, six weeks rolled on. I prayed every day, God, just 
would just tell me what's going on, Lord. You know, I wanted the relationship restored. Did something happen to her? I, I, was, I was tempted to fly to where she was to kind of just report her maybe like missing or something. Right? I had no idea what was going on until one day out of the blue, I got a phone call and it was a man at the other end of the line saying, please stop calling. We're engaged to be married. So up to this day, I wish I was making this stuff up, <laughs> but I am not. I still have had no closure. I didn't know whether she was living a double life at the time. It's like, was she, you know, or did she like move back home and she met this guy and she's engaged to him now and we'll be married? I don't know, right? But like, all I know at that time was that Jesus did not answer my prayer. Four months later, there was a blonde girl that moved into <laughs> the suburb that our church was in. I don't have a type at all. We meet, we date, we get married, we plan a church, we have two kids. Glory to God. I think we need to give Jesus a big shout of praise for what he didn't do. Why am I telling you that? I don't know why I told you that. <laughs> we live in the Martha four days seasons and we jump to conclusions about God that he himself has never jumped to. We need to see the genius in what God didn't do. I've been a church pastor for a really long time and most of the time when I talk to people and they're ready to walk away from God, they're in the four days Martha season. They write God off on the basis of what God didn't do without seeing the genius in what he didn't do. Can I unpack this a little further for you guys? Can I do some teaching? When we consider the genius of what God didn't do, you need to consider this. When God doesn't do something, he often is revealing his mercy. What? Absolutely. When God is shutting the door on you, you can't see it right now, but God at times is being merciful. Yeah. I'm so grateful he didn't let me marry that girl. Yeah. It was his mercy. Yeah. Thank God I married you. He was being merciful to me. In the Gospels, there's a rich young ruler. He jumps up, he runs up to Jesus and says, Jesus, Jesus, I want to be the 13th disciple. Can you make me the third? I want to just, I want to follow you. I'm, I'm a, you know, I mean, if you can pick those 12, like fishermen and like tax collectors and like randos, like I am a person of high education. So you need to pick me. I want to learn from you, Rabbi. Jesus did not do for him what he asked Jesus to do. Jesus said, I'm going to be merciful to you. I'm going to turn you down because you're not going to be able to handle the kind of sacrifice I have already seen from these 12. You, Peter has given up his entire livelihood, dropped his nets, is following me, and one day he's going to be crucified upside down and you can't even sell your house to follow me. I'm being merciful to you. I am saying no. When God doesn't do for us, what we ask him to do, he's often being merciful. 
I've known so many people saying, PK, I'm just so frustrated at asking God for some opportunities. I want to serve him with my heart. I, 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 I want some opportunities to serve. Bro, you can't even get yourself to a connect group regularly. He's merciful to you. Imagine if he sent you to the nations. You are going to die there. He's being merciful. Sometimes we're frustrated at God because he says no, but he's being merciful to us. He's revealing his mercy to us. You following me so far? There is genius in what God didn't do. The second thing is this. The genius in what God didn't do, he leads you to your greater purpose. He leads you to your greater purpose. Thank God, God didn't let Gideon run to Joppa. Put him in the, the whale's mouth. Jonah, sorry. I've been reading too much of the Bible, I'm getting confused. Thank God he didn't let Jonah run to Joppa. Put him in the fish's mouth. Because God had Nineveh in store for him. Thank God, God didn't let Gideon hide in the wine press. There was genius in what God didn't let Gideon do. Is that right? I thought it was right, so why are you still heckling? <laughs> it was one analogy after another, I was getting confused, that's why. I'll do better at the 11. There is Mandarin translation too, the 11, I better get it right. The third genius of what God didn't do is that he makes your greatest testimony possible. Again, I'm not talking to those that are contending for healing, contending for breakthrough. We're about faith. You know, you need to understand that. I'm, not, I'm talking about people that are in the four days Martha window. Imagine if Jesus actually did as Martha wanted him to. Came and Lazarus, cooking a fever, just got healed. That would have been the testimony. He would not have had an opportunity to prophesy of his resurrection had he not let Lazarus die. You know, one of the greatest apostles, Paul, if not the greatest, he had a thorn in his side. We don't know whether it was an ailment, a sickness, whatever. It says this, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment or to buffet me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. The Lord said, okay, then I will. Did it say that? No. This is what the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Then he's able to say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. I delight in all the things Jesus didn't do. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Your greatest testimony is on the other side of what God didn't do. I'm wondering today if you're in the four days of Martha waiting that Jesus, you just didn't do what I asked you to do. You need to understand that your great testimony of the power of Christ, of the grace being sufficient for you, you'll never experience that if he came for you back then. Church, the greatest testimony to the world is when they see us in situations that would have taken other people out and yet we stay in faith until we see the grace and the power of Jesus on the other side of it. Your testimony would not be as great if he came to you at the first sign of trouble. Yeah. 
He's the kind of God that would let them arrest you, bind you up, and then put you in the fire. Then he appears. He's the kind of God that would let them arrest you, right? Put you in the lion's den. And then makes the lions sort of play around your feet like kittens. That's the kind of God that he is. You need to see the genius in what God didn't do. For four years, Myri Campus, I prayed for that building called Myri Kahaya. Four years! Do you know how long four years is in my life? It's a tenth of my life. Oh my gosh! You wouldn't be here today if he answered that prayer. You gotta see the genius in what God didn't do. And for so long as Christians, we frame our theologies on God, I praise you when you do what I ask you to do. And then I backslide and walk away and withdraw from connect and don't come to church when you don't do what I ask you to do. We gotta go beyond that shallow theology. The world needs to see a church that understands what it's like. When we say God is good all the time, He's good when He does it for us, and He's good when He doesn't do it for us. There's genius in both. Thank God He didn't take Himself off that cross. Thank God. Or we'd have no resurrection Sunday. Thank God there is genius in what God didn't do. In the book of Job, Satan, Satan knows the human condition so well. He says this. That's another mind-bending theology right there. Satan speaks to God. He says, you know your servant Job, I bet you he only praises you when you bless him. I bet you, because that's what people are like. I bet you he will only worship you when you continue to bless him. If I buffet him, bet you he walks away from you. God calls his bluff. Job suffers insufferable things. And yet Job holds on to faith. We've got to be the kind of believers in the lead up to Easter that understand that there is genius in what God doesn't do just as much as there is genius in what he does do. I want to be the kind of Christian that understands he is God when I'm in the mountaintops as much as I'm in the valleys. That I'm in the, that he is God when a door slams shut in my face just as much as there's open doors for me to walk through. We need to be the kind of God that in sickness, we say this in marriage, in sickness, in health, for better or worse, for richer, for poorer. But we don't say that to God. Only in blessing and favor, thank you God. Only in abundance and prosperity, thank you God. Only in health and the good times, thank you God. But if it ain't happening for me, I ain't coming to church. I ain't praising. Thank God that scripture has always reminded us that there is genius also in what God didn't do. He reveals himself. I think at times, this is my opinion, I think sometimes God reveals more of himself in the valley than he does in the mountaintops. We all love the mountaintop experiences, but I reckon... We feel the earthiness and the breath and the width and the depth of the gospel so much more when we're navigating the mess of the valley. Wow. You would never appreciate the goodness of God 
if it was all the goodness of God, all mountaintops, you'd never appreciate the sunshine if it was 24 hours sunshine. My prayer for us today is that we become reawakened to seeing God in the things He doesn't do. Can we give Jesus a big shout of praise for that? Thanks for listening to the Nations Church podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com. Thank you.